0: Welcome to this special edition of the Strategy-Driven Podcast, an interview with Diana McLean-Smith, author of Divide or Conquer, How Great Teams Turn Conflict into Strength. Hi, I'm Nathan Ives, and I'd like to welcome you to this special edition of the Strategy Driven Podcast, an interview with Diana McLean Smith, author of Divide or Conquer, how great teams turn conflict into strength. The Strategy Driven Podcast focuses on the tools and techniques executives and managers can use to improve their organization's alignment and accountability to ultimately achieve superior results. These podcasts elaborate on the best practice and warning flag posts found on the Strategy Driven website at www.strategydriven.com. In this special edition podcast, we interview Diana McLean-Smith, a partner at The Monitor Group, a global management consulting firm, and author of Divide or Conquer, How Great Teams Turn Conflict into Strength. So now, without any further delay, let's get started. We're privileged to be joined by Diana McLean-Smith, partner at The Monitor Group, a global management consulting firm, and founding partner of Action Design, a small firm specializing in organizational learning and professional development. For the past 25 years, Diana has advised leaders and their teams on how to build relationships strong enough to master their toughest challenges. She has taught courses and delivered lectures at the Harvard Law School, the Harvard Graduate School of Education, and Boston College's Carroll School of Management. Recently, Diana authored Divide or Conquer, How Great Teams Turn Conflict into Strength and is here today to share her insights on building strong, enduring relationships with our strategy-driven community. Welcome, Diana.
1: Thank you, Nathan. It's great to be here.
0: Well, we're really, really happy to have you, and I loved your book and uh, really pleased that you'll share your insights with us today.
1: Well, I'm, I'm really delighted to be here because it's just come out, and here's an opportunity to to spread the word.
0: <laughs> excellent, excellent. Uh, Diana, uh, throughout Divide and Conquer, uh, and, and this is one of the things I really liked about the book, I could literally see the relationships and and specifically the relationship struggles that I've had over the course of my year working with executives uh, in strategic planning or just in day-to-day business execution. I was wondering if you could tell us what inspired you to write Divide or Conquer and then how did you go about developing your unique approach to helping to build enduring relationships?
1: Well, that's a great question. Um, What inspired me was observing, in my case, top teams uh, coming up with strategic decisions or trying to implement them and witnessing the enormous amounts of human, social, and economic capital uh, getting either destroyed or created because of the quality of the relationships among those senior executives. And, you know, watching that for many years, I began to see that relationships, rather than individual leaders, uh... really determined a lot of what was happening yet we seem to be all focusing on the individual leader or on team dynamics yes And so i decided to shift my attention away from individual leaders and team dynamics to see if there wasn't um, information in these relationships that's something that would tell us about why so many teams either seem to get stuck or seem to rise to the occasion and and why the difference and um, after shifting my attention, I began to see that relationships shape individual and team behavior at least as much as individual and team behavior shapes relationships. So I really began to think that I was onto something by looking at relationships, and I decided it was time to really pay attention to them and to come up with some tools that would allow us to do three things. Uh, the first is to really analyze systematically how relationships work. And this is a domain where most of us just sort of throw up our hands and and chalk it up to chemistry or just say these guys don't get along or, you know, when John and Frank get together, this is what you expect. It always happens. But we'd be hard-pressed to really systematically analyze what happens in the same way we'd analyze a market. I mean, we have lots of tools for analyzing the market, but we have none for analyzing a relationship. And that's kind of odd, but it's true. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to come up with – that's one of the things I wanted to do is come up with a tool that would allow us to do that The second thing I wanted to be able to help people with is tracing the evolution of a relationship so they could see whether it was worth continuing to invest in changing its course. And that's a really tricky question because a lot of us don't know whether to fish or to cut bait. And we're oftentimes uh, reduced to answering that question by looking just at the other person and assessing whether or not we think they're open to change But what we're not doing is looking at how the relationship has developed over time and our role in seeing the person in front of us. And I say that because I've noticed in my research that the same person acts very differently in different relationships. So being able to trace the evolution of your relationship with somebody really can help you see if there are actually things you might be able to do differently that could change the course of the relationship. And then the third thing I wanted to help people do is to figure out which relationships were absolutely critical to their success or to a team's success or an enterprise's success and to give them a, a, a way of thinking about change over time. How could they change that, those critical few relationships so that they really were strong enough to meet the challenges a team faced? So th- that was those were my goals. I really wanted to come up with t- tools that would help people to do those three things and um, in terms of the the way I went about developing the approach is, unlike you know most people, what I did is I observed meetings and observed encounters, observed decision-making, observed execution. And I brought a tape recorder wherever I went and I transcribed these encounters and, and then I interviewed people and tried to get a window onto what they were thinking and feeling in these moments. And with that kind of data, see those are the data I use, It's different than market data or
0: statistical
1: data. It's the data of what people are actually feeling, thinking, and doing. And with those data, I kept asking myself over and over again the same question, and that is what set of factors cause a relationship to take one form and not another or to create one set of results and not another? And it was with that question and those data that I came up with a framework and a set of tools that allowed me to accomplish those three things, which is figuring out how a relationship works, how it evolves over time, and then how you can change the critical view. Okay. So that's, yeah. Yeah, and
0: I was going to say it stood out to me throughout the book, and and one of the things that the book I think is just so full of is those rich examples that are really that personal experience and that personal insight that so many of the books I, I read, uh, especially the business books, they they focus a lot on hard numbers. Uh, or easily measurable things, and they don't get inside of people's heads and what they're thinking. But Divide or Conquer does that.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's really interesting to think about from a research point of view, and I do have an academic background, even though I left academia. But, you know, what what any good executive or good researcher is going to ask is, how do you know what you know? And how do you know it's true? Hmm. How do you know it's reliable? Um, and one of the problems with the domain of, of individual leaders and their personalities or relationships is the data seems so fuzzy. And it's very hard to quantify. And the way we try to quantify is to do surveys. Um, but if you think about what surveys really are, is they are a bunch of relatively abstract conclusions about people and about how they operate. They're not actually what people are doing thinking and feeling and so I tried to figure out maybe we can get data on what people are doing thinking and feeling direct data observational data that's on a page and you can look at it and you can analyze it and so that was what I set out to do was to come up with a reliable way of analyzing how relationships work
0: okay okay and and thinking about that and and then what you did with the data yeah, so often when I I read a book or uh, listen to a podcast, uh, go out to a reference, I find great ideas, but then I can't see how to implement them, how to how to make them real sure. for me. Mm-hmm. But you did that in in your book. You you actually have sections that says here take take action, and here are very distinct steps that you can do to implement to go and improve your relationships. You talked about your three goals. I was hoping you could give us, because I know we don't have time to go into the level of detail the book does, but just a, a high level overview of the actions that you talk about in the book that people can take to help improve their relationships.
1: Well, first of all, I'm I'm really, really pleased to hear that you um, thought that the kinds of advice that I offered was concrete and actionable, because that's definitely what I aspired to do. Um, so that's really good to hear. Uh, you know, there really are three processes I speak to in the book and each part um, addresses each one of them. And so in part one, the, 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 the advice or the processes or the actions that I recommend people take really have to do with how do you understand and strengthen relationships and it gets at that first goal of mine, which is how do you understand how they work? And then how can you use that understanding to strengthen the relationship? So that's part one. And there I rely on uh, what I call a mapping technology, which is a framework <laughs> that allows people to see how their relationship works. And then the second thing I offer in that part of the book are two what I call cooling strategies, uh, strategies executives can use or managers use or anybody can use in the heat of the moment. Uh, to cool down and to think more dispassionately about their substantive disagreements and also about their relationship because oftentimes substantive disagreements can lead to relationship troubles. So that's really you know, the first part of the book is how do you understand and strengthen relationships and what are some technologies and strategies people can use. Um, in the second part of the book, it's really helping people think about how can they stage change over time when they're dealing with those Critical few relationships, which will make or break success. Mm-hmm. Uh, oftentimes, they're faced with how are we going to turn this relationship from one that's not performing very well to a high-performing relationship. And so, I outlined three stages of change. And as you point out, each stage has steps, and each step steps has a set of actions. Um, now, this part we'll get to this hopefully later in the conversation. Sometimes requires a third party. Yes. Um, but it's very yes. important that people understand what that change takes, what it requires, and also what it can what it can yield in terms of results. And then the third part provides people with tools and strategies that allow them to, under, to allow them to focus on their relationships and the business at the same time. Because I think mean, we often feel like you know this kind of psychological work, as people think of it is at the expense of making progress. We don't have time for that. You know, yes, we need to develop people. Yes, we need to develop our relationships. But we're busy. We've got to make decisions. We've got to get things done. You know, and and people feel a, a real tension between those two. And so I try to give people some tools that allow them to continue to invest over time in strengthening their relationships or changing them while at the same time attending to the business. So those are really the three processes that I outline in the book.
0: Okay, and you know I could as I read the book, and I know our, our listeners uh, can 't see the framework model, but what I really particularly liked about that model is you mapped out what people were thinking and then how it translated into their actions
1: yes yeah uh,
0: and and that really I guess it gave me some a new perspective on my relationships because it helped me to um, to frame for myself, uh, to use your term, uh, you know, how might others be perceiving me when I yeah. either say these things or do these things yeah. and how it drives their actions?
1: Yeah. Th- so that's really important because I-, I think we tend to experience relationship troubles as um, he made me do it. He made me feel this. He made me feel that. In fact, a lot of advice you get is to say to somebody, when you did that, it made me feel this and that's certainly better than, you know, you're a passive-aggressive jerk and I never want to see you again. But it still implies implies that the problem is one way. Um, And what it doesn't look at is that your actions may be actually leading somebody else to feel something, Mm -hmm. then maybe leading that person to act a particular way, which then leads you to feel or think a particular thing, which leads you then to act a particular way which reinforces how they're feeling and thinking, which is reinforcing what they're doing. And you get this cycle uh, that becomes escalating because each person is only focusing on what the other person is doing and how it's making them feel. What they're not focusing on is what they're doing and how that might be leading the other person to think or feel. But if you can put those two pieces to the puzzle together, then you can see how it works.
0: Yes, and and you mentioned that circular nature of of the relationship and uh, you had mentioned earlier a third party and I wanted to ask about that because as I read the book it did strike me that if we get into this circular loop and we continue to do the same things and then get the same response which kind of pushes us to do again the same things that right. it was it would be much easier to have a third party come in to help us break out of that loop, to think out of the box. Uh, yeah. is, is that your experience?
1: Uh, it, there's, it's a complex question. It's a good question. I'll try to give you a relatively simple answer. Okay. Um, because the role of a third party, you know, when it's needed and who can provide it, um, it, it really depends on the nature of the relationship. And it mm-hmm. depends specifically on two things. Uh, one is how adversarial is the relationship? And the second is how entrenched is that adversarial dynamic? You know, how susceptible is it to change? And the more adversarial and the more entrenched, I use the example of Steve Jobs and John Scully in the book.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: at the point at which these guys began to pay attention to their relationship, it was so adversarial and so entrenched they did not stand a snowball's chance in hell of turning that relationship around. Yes. Um and even if they had brought a third party in, they would have struggled and it would have taken enormous investment. So, um, you know, the higher the the more adversarial, the more entrenched, the higher the need for a, a really highly skilled third party. If it's mid range, somewhat adversarial, somewhat entrenched, but there's you know, there's openness on both parties part Uh, to think about what they might be doing, you know, it's not outside the realm of possibility that they might be implicated in the dynamic, well, then you might be able to use what I call an informal third party. Now, this is somebody who's got natural skill at mediating, who with some of the tools in the book can help people see how they're both contributing to a dynamic neither of them likes and okay. then if, if, if it's not at all adversarial or entrenched, you're just starting out, but you know you're going to be up under a lot of pressure and you want to make sure your relationship's up to the job. So it's not a dysfunctional relationship. It's just the demands are enormous and you understand wisely that any relationship will fall under pressure. That's the time when people ought to be able to use the concepts and the tools in the book to get off on a good footing right from the beginning.
0: Okay. So it sounds like then it's really helpful, and I guess uh, I'm thinking of it from a perspective, especially if I go into a new job yep. or I'm taking on a new responsibility, that I assess uh, the new relationships I'm going to have to form with people.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely oh. critical. Okay. And okay. that means you've got, uh, assessing relationships means you've got to assess yourself in relationship to the other, not just them. Okay. You've got to, you've got to really pay attention. It's very hard to do. Really pay attention to, when somebody does something, you go into a job and and you have your first conversation with your boss and he does something that either surprises you or frustrates you. First question you should ask is, is there anything I just did that might have led that person to react in a way that led them to act in ways that were surprising or frustrating to me? And if you can't come up with a speculation in your own head, then it's always wisest to ask the other person.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, right away, of course, I was doing my linear thinking and went right to uh, a thought of, oh, I need to assess other people, but I yeah. need to think of ourselves too.
1: Yeah. It's a, and it's, it's actually, a, and we're so individual oriented. You know, <laughs> it, we think about assessing ourselves. We think about assessing the other person. It's assessing ourselves in relation to other, assessing other in relation to us. How does the dynamic work? are we each of us eliciting the best or are each of us eliciting the worst in each other?
0: Okay. Okay. And and what
1: are we each doing? What are we each doing to elicit either the best or the worst? And then having a conversation with the other person, which is by the way, atypical in the business world. We talk about relationships at home. Mm -hmm. Let's hope anyway. We don't tend to do it at work, but if you look at John Meekham's book on Um, on Franklin and Winston, on Franklin Roosevelt and Winston Churchill, these guys did talk about their relationship. And they understood that they had to keep the relationship and the mission in mind because they understood that their relationship was a strategic asset critical to the success of their mission. So if you can establish with another person that you're going to check in on the relationship and make sure it's up to the job, not a a touchy-feely, you know, how are we feeling, kumbaya kind of way, um, mm-hmm. And I don't mean to trivialize feelings in saying that. I just mean to say, the question is: Is your relationship up to the job of succeeding as an individual and as a team? And if it's not, then you need to get to work on what are the things that you're each doing to get in the way of your success.
0: Okay. okay. Does that does that make sense? That does. That makes a lot of a lot of success. And, and I see in my uh, personal relationships, uh, you know, as a, a management consultant, I so often work with a number of different people going from engagement to engagement. This is something I should probably be implementing right up front uh, with an engagement, uh, having a a very open, honest
1: conversation.
0: Yeah. And and
1: one of the things I say to my clients, because I'm in the the same trade you are, Mm -hmm. is I say, you know, look, there are going to be a lot of things we're going to talk about here. They're very difficult issues. They're very complex. Reasonable people disagree. If there's anything I do to get in the way of your raising your concerns or your disagreements with anything I say, please let me know, because that would be a mistake on my part, and I value hearing about that, and I've got a very thick skin. So please, you know, feel free to tell me. And then if they tell me anything, (laughs) I say, thank you very much. That's really helpful. Um, And if I don't understand it, I say, oh, I wasn't aware of that. You know, what was it I did? Oh, that's really helpful. I didn't understand. I did that.
0: Yeah, to keep it, to keep the relationship open, and have them understand you're you're open to that feedback.
1: Exactly, and and the more you, the the less you say, "Oh well, the reason I did that is because you did that." Okay, mm-hmm. and the more the more you just say, "Thank you very much. That's helpful. If I do it again, let me know because that was a mistake." And then down the pike, you can start to say let's take a look at how this is working as a team, because now we're a team client, you and me. We're a team. Yes. And you have a lot of domain knowledge about your business, your industry, your organization. I have a lot of expertise about strategy or about people or about relationships, whatever it is. Our job is to do a mind melt, and that's never easy. So mm-hmm. let's, let's, let's be aware of what we're doing to slow down or to speed up the extent to which um, we're sharing our, our different expertise
0: okay yes uh diana i a lot of our listeners and i'm sure a lot of the folks that are going to uh to read your book it won't all be executives but a lot of them will be upper level managers and and uh even line managers does the process in divide or conquer that that you describe for building relationships will it work for lower levels of of management
1: absolutely and you know i i Was really torn when I wrote the book about how to position it, and I know I really did position it a lot at the senior, most senior levels. And there were two reasons for that. One is I happen to have a lot of great data on senior levels because I work a lot with very senior managers. Um, And the second reason was because of the impact that their relationships had on the success of the firm, uh, which is enormous. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I spent my career working with mid-level managers and lower-level managers. You know, I've been doing this for 30 years, and everything that is in that book draws on those 30 years of experience, and this stuff applies equally well uh, to all levels in an organization.
0: Okay. Well, I had a question then. Um, we've talked about third parties, and I recognize that a lot of the companies I know that I've worked with, they have budgets or, or they have yeah you know, just funding set aside that could bring in a third party to help mm-hmm. out an executive with relationships amongst their team uh, middle and lower level managers i've i've not really encountered where they've had that kind of of resource sure. to draw from is there something else they can do maybe someone else they can approach to help them
1: sure um you know the the one thing is there are definitely uh Advantages to right from the start again starting to contract within the team that we're going to pay attention to the relationship as well as the mission, mm-hmm. um, there are concepts and tools in the book that I think help people on their own get to work on their relationships. I recommend highly that people on teams cultivate uh, naturals to be informal third parties, either people who have very good observational skills who tend not to take sides who can work with people in a more um, dispassionate way on dynamics that might arise. I also recommend that people develop the skill to map their dynamics with other people using that framework so they can see how it works. Um, and then, you know, the, the my firm, Action Design, one of the two firms I'm affiliated with, Monitor being the other, but Action Design has uh, institutes, and they have a website, actiondesign.com, But they offer institutes where they train people um, how to use these concepts in their own relationships. And then they also have institutes that focus on third parties. Um, And these can be informal third parties or they can be, you know, actual people who do it for a living. But they're both. Um, and, And these kinds of workshops are less costly for people. And uh, Action Design does it internally in firms on a large scale basis, but it also, we have a public training where people come from all sorts of different backgrounds and different firms. And getting that kind of training can be in, incredibly invaluable.
0: Okay. Thinking about, about training and, and other programs, as I think back to the relationship training that I've had in the past and, and how I've been taught to communicate with people, I've always had. Uh, the the facilitators focus on personality profiles like DISC or the MBTI uh, sure. exams. Do those have a a place or a fit uh, within your model?
1: Uh, they do. I mean, I mean, it's a very important question because one of the fundamental things I'm trying to help people do is shift from focusing on personalities to focusing on patterns of interaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. There is a place it has, and the place that these, these um, profiles have is it helps people think about their differences with others in less toxic terms. So clearly it's, it's better if people think, rather than that jerk or that idiot or that nutcase, uh, that they think in terms of, well, they're an introvert and I'm an extrovert, or you know, I'm a conscientious and they're dominant. Okay? So there are less toxic labels for people. No question that that helps. But all theories break down at some point. You know, the range of usefulness is always going to be limited, including mine. And where these break down is that they don't help people see the dynamics that prevent them from using those differences to their advantage. And so you get back from these seminars, and after about a month or two months, you're back to the jerk and idiot, you know or you say introvert, extrovert, and we'll just agree to disagree. But it won't help you figure out how to really capitalize on those differences because to capitalize on those differences, you really need to understand what it is about the way you're interacting. That's again, allowing you either to bring out the best or the worst in the other. Too often, these differences cancel each other out as opposed to become additive. And by focusing on patterns in addition to personalities, you're able to see how you can bring out the best in that person's personality without focusing on the patterns. You really don't get as far as you need to go.
0: Okay. Okay. Does that make it, sense? It does make good sense. It yeah. does, and and I can relate to uh, the coming out of the seminar, and then about a month later. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not not having the the help that I thought I was going to have.
1: Yeah. Uh, exactly.
0: Before we close, I did have yeah. one last question. Mm-hmm. It, divide or conquer? The the examples uh, came across to me uh, as uh, focusing on two individuals and they're working their relationship out uh, between the two of them and and growing that way. Uh, Can the method be applied to a a broader team?
1: Sure. Um, Again, it's another great question. I wrote a first draft of this book and I sent it out to people and Um, they all went running from the thing because it was complicated. Um, And I had to figure out how to focus it. And so I decided to focus on two-person relationships. And it wasn't just a a, – I didn't do it just to make it simpler, although it did have that advantage. I did it because two-person relationships are really the DNA of a team because you can think of teams as an intricate web of two-person relationships. But you can also think about a team, and you can use this framework if you looked at the leader and then the rest of the team members. As a dyad okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can look at you can use the framework with uh, division and corporate or um, marketing and sales uh, or r and d and marketing um, it, you can actually use the framework to think about cross unit cross hierarchical levels and so on and when I think about teams, I think about them in geometric terms and so I think about um, the relationship between the leader and the team. Okay, that's the vertical okay. axis. And then I think about the relationships between the different business units or functions, lateral relationships.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's the lateral side. And what you can, you can predict is that the more competitive and dysfunctional the lateral relationships, the more pressure that puts on the vertical because conflicts will get sent up the hierarchy to the boss. Yes, And the more that happens, um, the more dysfunctional the vertical relationship becomes, which then puts pressure on lateral relationships, you see? Mm-hmm. And you can now understand the, the complexities that I was trying to avoid <laughs> in the book, because it all of a sudden gets quite complex. Um, but then there's even a third dimension, which has to do with the relationship. It's very subtle, but it's the relationship between in a team. They're usually mm-hmm. people central to key debates. And then there are people who are peripheral. Um, Mm -hmm. And how the people who are central to a debate relate to the periphery is also critical, because people on the periphery can often help out when things break down. But they're often marginalized, and they become second status. And that then makes them insecure, so they become quiet, and they don't say anything. So they're just lumps on the log. Um, so, fixing that relationship between the peripheral people and the central people is critical, so you can see i 'm using the two person just to create some kind of sanity for the poor reader who 's trying to get their arms around a new way of thinking about things, but you can quickly start to apply it to these the, the geometry of a team
0: yes and and uh, the geometry is complex
1: it is and complex I, yeah,
0: yeah, and I know it uh, uh, I know working with uh, I'll call it a hierarchical, but a, a functionally structured organization compared to a matrixed one even adds another complexity.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, Diana, I, I wanted to, uh, to mention your websites. Cause I, I, I know that there's a lot of other information that you've made available, uh, to folks you mentioned during our conversation, action but I believe there's also, uh, Diana, also.
1: Yes. And, uh, McLean is not spelled the way it often is. Uh it's D I A N A, and then McLean is N C L A I N S M I T H. So Diana McLean Smith, no caps, no gaps dot com. And uh there's a bunch of stuff there that is a, is additive to the book, uh, but if people are interested in ordering it, they can find uh Amazon links there, uh one eight hundred C E O Read, I believe, other links as well. Um, okay. And then the, the other um, potential um, website of interest would be monitor.com uh, because they have a unit that devotes itself to trying to help teams be effective. Okay. Well, you
0: know what I'm going to do is as part of the uh, the posting for the podcast today, uh, I'm going to include links to all three of the websites. So That'd I'll, be great. So we'll have uh, dianamacleansmith.com Mm -hmm. monitor.com, and actiondesign.com. Correct. Well, Diana, I wanted to thank you not only for your time, but for sharing insights with us on how folks can go about growing their relationships and improving their overall teamwork.
1: It was a pleasure, Nathan.
0: Thank you. And, and uh, you know, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed Divide or Conquer, and I would recommend that uh, our readers uh, and listeners go and visit uh, your website or Amazon.com and uh, pick up a book to, to read it for themselves.
1: That would be great by me.
0: All righty. Well, thank you again.
1: All righty. Thank you, Nathan. Take care.
0: Thank you. Bye. Bye bye. And that wraps us up. Thank you for joining us. I hope you've enjoyed this special edition of the Strategy-Driven Podcast. I also want to thank Diana McLean Smith for sharing her time and invaluable insights on improving relationships and teamwork with us today. As always, we'd appreciate receiving your feedback by email at podcast at strategydriven.com. If you enjoyed the show, please consider voting for us on Podcast Alley and visiting our website at www.strategydriven.com. And finally, you can find more information about Diana McLean-Smith and Divide or Conquer at www.dianamccleansmith.com. Until next time,
1: so long.